Is lost to dandelions snow Sifting treacle coated pixels Searching for socially acceptable answers One line down Another sticky Navigating ever-changing levels of wellness Overwhelming how much of life's messed and alternating you Old or new states, tectonic plates of irony Tilt tirelessly within a string that spins Tentatively round us is comparatively gigantic But a tiny circle still Wash away, wash away Wash away, wash away Hours lost to dandelion snow Sifting treacle coated pixels Sat down showers Scouring socially unsticky answers To questions telling nothing about us What lights up? Who we are, no, just the same old suds To leather, absolutely nothing The things we ask Say infinitely more about us than Any answers we What we ask for Shows infinitely way more than all And any answers could ever Wash away, wash away From a cloak of clouds With intent blood moon Watch us start again What do they even do? Start Navigating ever changing levels of wellness Overwhelming how much of life's best And alternating new old or new states Tectonic plates of irony Tilts tirelessly within a string that spins Tentatively around us is comparatively gigantic But a tiny
that was Miri Takea with her song Blood Moon Wash Away. The song is about navigating cycles of fluctuating symptoms and abilities in chronic invisible illness, washing away the horizontal hours, the scepticism and judgment that comes with them and constantly starting over again. It is an exclusive demo which will be turned into a fuller arrangement produced by Dom Richardson. Miri Takeya is a British Egyptian invisibly disabled artist, vocalist, songwriter, writer, performer and speaker. Miri is passionate about imagination, arts and language as vehicles to transcend and transform. Longing for a world of mirrors that reflect our authentic selves, she is committed to examining the space between perception and reality, uncovering and celebrating the unseen and the other. Through lilting, jazzy melodies, intricate harmonies and poetic rhythmical lyricism, Miri weaves philosophy and song with honesty, playfulness and grit. We are especially proud to have Miri on the show as she has been part of our first Kyoto Mentorship Programme. This is Kyoto Lab. Kyoto. Welcome to Kyoto Lab. I'm Aisha Ali, a vocal artist, improviser, composer, producer, and co-director of Kyoto. And I'm very, very happy to be here with Manira Pilgrim, writer, spoken word poet, cultural producer, broadcaster, and baby theatre maker. <laughs> Welcome, Manira. Thank you so much for having me today. It's so great to have you. How have you been? I've been pretty cool, you know, always overthinking, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but always like thinking, trying to be like in tune with my body. How am I at the moment? What's going on? But yes, I'm very good. And what is going on in your body at the moment? What is going on in my body? I think there is just a lot of thought about how I look after my body and my well-being, which obviously like is a thing that people are talking about a lot. And I think sometimes it and that's a brilliant thing that's a beautiful thing a wonderful thing yet at the same time I realized that it seems like there seems to be like this capitalizing of well-being I'm trying to make sure I find authentic well-being and sense of self as opposed to the ones that cost too much effort by big companies you know yeah it's really difficult isn't it this whole uh, world of self-care and like how capitalism has got self-care in its yeah. clutches and if we're thinking about self-care in this like radical form as activists as like you know engaged people in the world compared yeah. to you know spending loads of money <laughs> absolutely absolutely no it's true it's true what are your creative projects at the moment what are you working on so um creative projects that i'm working on at the moment i'm working on my um poetry collection i've been doing poetry for several years now like you know um and I guess when you don't start off thinking I'm going to be a poet you're just writing and then you just so happen to fall onto stages and you just so happen to get exposure and to go to open mics and you're not really I know some people think ah I want to be a poet but I was so young I wasn't thinking I want to be a poet I was like oh what is this I don't know I just like it you don't often frame yourself as a poet so you don't think I need to write a collection I need to do this you're just doing what you're drawn to you know and so what that's meant is that I've kind of been 
put into categories of like you're a spoken word poet this is what you do but actually no nah, I I I am now I identifying as a poet if that makes sense yeah <laughs> and you know I believe that the world is open to me and I've had the opportunity with Burning Eye Books to um, publish my first collection I've done a chat book before mini chat book self-published but um, this is, I'm really excited about this collection and what it's going to be. I'm working with Jacob Sam Rose as a mentor, which I'm really excited about. Very excited. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm doing. I'm also working on theatre piece with English Touring Theatre. I collaborated with them on several different things in terms of like developing educational programmes for particular theatre productions that they had. They tend to tour them and I developed programmes for them before. And then they were like, yo, you've done so much for us. Like, what can we give you the opportunity to do? So I'm doing that. And also just developing, I guess, some of my writing outside of that, some of my thought writing, some of my, I guess, my article writing. What are the things that I want to talk about? What are the things that I'm thinking about? I'm also working with IBT in between time in Bristol. And we're really starting to think about just slow development, slow development of delivering workshops as opposed to this, sort of idea of like do a workshop and you're out actually what does it mean to be a community researcher coming in and developing programs what does it mean to look at these communities as we like to call them and get them to develop programs too and to instead of studying people and watching people how do we say you are an expert in your knowledge and just create different forms of knowledge this is something that I'm very much invested in yeah, sounds really exciting. That's a lot of amazing things. What's your collection called with Burning Eye Books? My collection is called That Day She Will Proclaim Her Chronicles. Epic. <laughs> Before I was going to call it Unicorns Have Nothing On Us, which is a line from one of my poems. Yeah. And um, then I don't know what changed inside of me, but I was like, I really, in the Quran, there's this verse in the chapter called The Earthquake. And I really just appreciated that verse that day she will proclaim her chronicles and it is essentially just about like when the earth is ready to speak when she's ready to talk about all of the things that have taken place on her body what will she say so yeah I'm excited about that yeah sounds amazing I can't wait to read it so today you're going to share a little bit from theatre piece you're working on do you want to tell us a little bit about that this theatre piece is in early development, first of all to say, but it explores a range of things. It is more or less biographical and it is about a coming, it's like a coming of story, a coming of age, a coming of realisation, a coming of acceptance and love for self, all of these different things. And so it's about a, a me or a person moving back to a city which they ran away from and just navigating the sort of like um, realms of like, dating of racism of you know islamophobia and all of these different things and just how that affects her body and how she experiences that I was saying to the director who was having a conversation the other day and he was like what type of genre would it be and I said that it would be a social political comedy drama great <laughs> sounds brilliant <laughs> are you imagining it being a solo show or are you imagining having several characters and is interesting because initially when I thought about it, I thought about it as a solo show. Then I thought about it as this big epic show with loads of people. And now I'm thinking about somewhere in between. So having myself as a solo 
main character and then just different people almost coming in as reflections more so than characters that you see so like maybe one character will play without giving away any teasers or what have you there's one point where I have different ideas of different men it all sort of boils down to the same thing so I was thinking what would it look like if one person played all of these different men at different Mm. points so yeah just still thinking around that but I don't want it to be too many characters and too many people yeah it sounds like there's quite a lot of exploration in it Mm. So let's, we're going to listen to this segment, which is called Dating in This Economy. Over to you. So apparently, by now, I should have a partner, a child, a house, career and savings. My edges should be intact. Nails trimmed and painted. My period should never take me by surprise. No spotting ever. Not even the tiny bit, which is the reason I only ever buy myself black knickers. I should have mastered the art of flossing, closed door style folding. I should be getting in 10,000 steps a day, jogging three times a week as well as gymming four. I should be practicing yoga, meditation and tapping all after I pray. I'm a Muslim, so I absolutely must not miss out on my five daily prayers. And I should definitely eat fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And I follow a path of Sufism, so I must do my dhikr. I absolutely must do my dhikr. The truth is I'm drowning in so many expectations and a lot of them are not from the outside world. They're from me. Although that's a contradiction within itself because I don't exist in a vacuum, right? I cannot come up with the ideals by myself. I didn't wake up one morning and say, yeah, I know. I want to join a club where I and thousands of people all around the world who I've never met before wake up 5am every morning just because. I didn't invent morning pages, morning yoga, morning meditation, morning oil pulling, or before a cup of lemon and hot water, though I actually prefer lime, which apparently doesn't have as much vitamin C, but I like it anyway. Yet these are all the things that I want to do and worse still, when I don't do them, every single day I feel like trash. Of the many things listed in the bunch not listed, the only thing I have a vague, and that's a very stretched out vague sort of idea about, is career-ish, which I don't really understand that that well, so how do I expect my Jamaican parents to understand? Oh, what do you mean freelancer? Oh, what that? Just how are they supposed to understand the complexities of being rich for about a week every few months and then being joke-type broke again? Note to self, is that freelancing or money management issues? How are they supposed to understand waking up 5am and going to bed at 1am all without moving from the discomfort of my desk? Aside from toilet breaks, prayer breaks, snacks. Note to self, is that freelancing or fear of not having a job and applying too much pressure to do everything now? But isn't that kind of what freelancing is anyway? One thing I've been thinking about a lot and trying to navigate is singledom. Now more than ever, and the possibility of what is after this day. I've been single for so long that I don't even know if I like the idea of cohabiting. But, like, hold up, isn't that too soon? I mean, I'm talking about being single. Surely the next step after that should be dating, not cohabiting. But as a Muslim woman, as a woman of my age, I'll come back to my age later. As a woman living in this Manelia and coming from a black Pentecostal Christian background... If you take all of those things individually and intersectionally, you're forced to think through the lens of fertility and eggs withering away one by one. I am not the girls in the Tampax adverts who are sporty with perky breasts who can do it all. My knees are not as good as they used to be. I am not as social as I used to be. 
I have to make dues where I can. So yes, from time to time, I think, mm, that man knocking on my door, delivering parcels, the Amazon man, he's practically a postman. And that's a good thing, right? Did he just smile at me? He asks me for my name. I think, I think he's deeply in love with me. I think he loves me. He must be strong. He must be fit and resilient and will be committed to our family unit because look at those legs. He looks like he has that good sperm, the extra power and push in the tail to reach my withering eggs type sperm. I wonder what our twin girls are going to look like. I hope he likes the name Rahma and Rahima. Maybe Makida or Yasin if it's a boy. Within Muslim communities, once you get beyond the age of about Jesus, and that's 33, everyone who wants to get to know you is already married. Okay, not everyone, but a sizable amount of the people who want to get to know you are already married. And they're looking for their second or even third wife. Without giving away my age, and yes, I am going to say that repeatedly, I'm securely second and third wife goods now, which is really scary because I have a ton of terrible stories about men and their second wife antics and men and their, I want to have a secret second wife antics or men and their, I'm not getting on with my current wife. So maybe if I bring a whole additional human being into a picture that will help to solve all of the issues antics. What tends to happen is a big mess. And when you voice your opinion about this, there's a very popular breed of man who be talking about, who be talking about, Allah gave me my rights. Why are you trying to take away my God-given rights? Okay, crazy dude, let's overlook all the systemic abuse that comes with taking on concepts out of your context. Let's forget the fact that you have four girlfriends on the go before you started practicing. And now you want to claim righteousness and make your four girls your four wives without paying four rents and four mortgages? because um, that's Islam, right? And by the way, um, feminists, please um, don't try and use me as no Western weapon. I'm not here to critique polygamous marriages, but I am critiquing that scenario, I guess. And then you have some women who act like they're cheerleaders. You know, the cheerleaders of these men. Sister, you know he's right. You're too worldly, you're too Western, you're too independent. Well, sis, I'm literally grown. I'm a grown woman who was born in Bristol, lives in the world and is single. So yes, I'm worldly, Western and independent. And what's wrong with that? I have no proof of this, but it feels like these women only agree so that they could get mentioned, added and retweeted by these men who would deem them as mashallah, pious wifey types. In or out of Islam, you'll find the pick me girls. Pick me. Pick me. Noun. One, to show dishonor to women by aligning oneself with problematic views of men. Two, to use respectability politics to gain favor with men at the detriment of other women. Usage. That chick is always begging it with men and slut shaming women in an attempt to catch men's attention. Yeah, I know. She's a blood clot. Pick me. I don't want to paint all pick me's as single as they come in married form too. In this case, it's not that they want to be picked by a man, but they wish to be seen as pious women. Same thing. And in that age-old rule book, Enabling Patriarchy 101, women playing against other women is up there in Magna Carta status. And this, my friend, is a backdrop of which I'm supposed to find a husband or a date. I don't remember which we were talking about. In the ideal situation, I would like to be married and have my own place. And he would have his own place too. Or if we share the place, we would have to have our own individual quarters. Because I mean, like, just imagine sharing with someone at this stage in my life. 
I talk in my sleep. I have an affinity for sleeping like a hexagon. My feet are ice cold, so he would have to um, put up with me trying to warm up my toes on his back. And I don't want to put anyone through that. And I may kill the person who keeps me up at night because they snore. And men's breath always smell foul in the morning, no matter how much they brush their teeth or eat meat free. It's just a thing. Besides my body, my sometimes I love it, sometimes I love it body. My I'm just getting used to the contours of my skin body, body. My skin is so soft and I'm addicted to looking in the mirror and discovering new parts of my body, body. I'm not ready to be watched. I'm not open to voyeurs, not just yet. But what if I'm saying this because I'm scared of letting down my guard, of loving deeply and falling fast, of loving and then losing or not being lovable or never finding love at all? Maybe I'm just scared. And with the state of dating in this economy, I have every right to be. Thank you, Manira, for that. That was great. There were so many things packed into that 10 minutes. I was really taken by the long list of shoulds and expectations. And I just kind of felt myself getting heavier and heavier with the list because I'm <laughs> sure we can all we can all totally identify with it. I think also the, the line about my period shouldn't take me by surprise. That <laughs> spoke to me too. Like every month, how does it how does it take me by surprise? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's been yeah. so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really great. And you you talk about work and you talk about your religion and you talk about having to keep fit and you know all of the different things we have to juggle in order to feel well that society tells us we need to do to feel good about ourselves and mm-hmm. it's, it's really interesting that because of the intersections of your identity it's like quite unique. Mm, do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that and how they interact? Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting. Sometimes I look at myself and I think about myself and, you know, okay, so I converted to Islam, but like I grew up in a Christian household and I still strongly identify to elements of what it means to be a black Jamaican Christian girl, right? And so I sometimes look at myself through the framework of that and then through this framework of being a Muslim, through the framework of being a woman in this world, through all of these different frameworks, I'm like, these things are supposed to be at odds, yet they sit in my body. And I think what that opening piece is about is about all of these things, A, sitting at odds, but also all of these different pressures and different things just coming from different directions. And it's like, it's interesting because say, for example, the 5am club, right? No one told me that I need to join a 5am club. So where does that come from? And yes, it's from me, but it has to be from somewhere else as well. And so, yeah, it's just exploring about what it is that I feel it means to be human or what it means to be a good human, whatever that good or or a, a human who maintains an adult, you know, what does that mean? And all of these pressures just pile on, but it, it's, it's, it's illogical because we can't possibly, or for myself, I can't possibly keep up with that, you know? No, I don't think anybody can. And yeah. actually, if you look at people as individuals, all of our intersectionalities are complicated and we've all got rich histories for heritage and maybe our sexuality and then class is a whole other thing and it's very complicated it's not that straightforward and yeah if you look at all of the different things people inhabit it just makes it harder to see how there would just be one norm that would fit everybody 
absolutely it's like as human beings it feels like and I definitely feel like in my life that when and it sounds like when we say this it sounds like you know problematic but we're messy people things are here then they're there then there's sometimes here sometimes there it's messy and it's sticky yet there is this pressure like no it has to be in a straight line and it has to just be organized you know yeah and I've also read that you know the in terms of like how many hours you work in a week that was like the working week was set up for a working man in the 50s with the understanding that he would have a partner at home doing the cooking and the cleaning and the shopping mm. and yet we still have the same working week even though lots of people are single or you know single parents or but you still have to do the cooking and the clean you don't have a wife at home that's going to do all those things for you yeah <laughs> so yeah. I think we can all just give ourselves a break because it's completely unrealistic <laughs> mm especially as artists as well like our working hours are just so crazy absolutely and also I think in thinking about artists because people enjoy what we do people think it's easy it's like oh that that made me laugh oh I enjoy that in that case it must be easy and then that devalues what you do which is a very strange thing within itself oh you enjoy something therefore it must be easy to do and you must have fun doing it and it's not yeah fun. You know? yeah definitely that idea that work has to be really miserable and a grind and if it's not miserable and a grind it's not really work and you shouldn't be you shouldn't be paid for it actually really you're lucky <laughs> to be doing it <laughs> and you're like no I'm an artist I put a lot of work into being this funny exactly <laughs> it took a long time for me to get this good and I've worked on it so you do have to pay me and also value my work <laughs> absolutely absolutely it was interesting talking about singledom and your relationship with romance, having grown up in a Jamaican household with Christian values and then converting to Islam and very different ways of looking at, say, marriage or whatever the expectation is for cohabitation in the future. So mm. how, how do you reconcile that? Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't <laughs> reconcile it. I really don't. I'm just like so confused. No, I mean like, yeah, I look at my parents and my parents have been married for, I think they had their 45th wedding anniversary that I've oh, And I look at myself and by, I'm my mum's youngest child. So like, you know, by the time my mum was my age, she had already had me, you know? Yeah. And, you know this idea about marriage you know and also within islam this idea that you get married and that somehow and you know okay people could say oh yeah it's not in the books and rare, rare, rare but like actually sometimes i think we need to step away from the books because it's easy to say oh no, no no it doesn't say that in the book but actually as people what are we socialized to believe what do people from a particular you know religion faith whatever or belief system whether it be atheism what do people how do they act what are the pressures that they put on you so yeah does it say in the quran or in the bible you are less of a woman if you are not married no it doesn't say that but how do people treat you right mm -hmm. and so there's this whole thing about trying to find a partner yet you're supposed to be this good Jamaican girl right or this good Muslim girl so for the first 30 years of your life no one answers you a question about marriage in fact don't even talk about relationships partners I think I've brought home like one person to uh -huh. you know what I mean in my whole time don't talk about it and then all of a sudden why aren't you mad and where's your children <laughs> you know? 
and it's almost like it's why I think for like my family is like it's just you come of age when you are married you are more of an adult so even though you are an adult you exist in this realm of childhood where there's this not even necessarily for my parents but just in my culture generally there's a slight disrespect if you don't have particular things and marriage is definitely one of them yeah no I, I definitely felt that I've actually been married and divorced and congratulations <laughs> well the divorce was the best thing I've ever done but yeah when I was married the way that I was treated was so different to when I wasn't married mm. and I guess it actually did really ruin the relationship because of the expectations other people put on us and the way that we were treated and mm. yeah it's yeah I can see why this doesn't work for a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> so how has it been for your family with you converting to Islam has, have they been supportive or has it been difficult so it's been, a, it's been a while now. So it's been like approximately 15 years or so. And um, initially my parents just didn't take it seriously. My family didn't take it seriously. It was like, okay, whatever. And then it was like, why are you praying all the time? Where are you going? It's like, remember that thing that I told you that I converted to Islam? <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm still Muslim, you know? And so at that point it was, I converted just before the 7-7, literally like weeks before the 7-7 bombing. And so racism islamophobia all of the phobias all of the other you know became hyper intense in britain and so particularly for, as a person who wears headscarf it was like okay you're just a troublemaker so i think there was this idea for my family that i wanted to convert to terrorism do you know what i mean <laughs> it's like you want to convert to terrorism but over the years things have kind of died down and now the sort of fear is about the fact that they feel like because of how I am because of what I do that actually I may be shunned by some Muslims or even treated differently because there have been really weird things that have happened for example um, I was in a group called Poetic Pilgrimage um, with another artist by the name of Sakina and um, Al Jazeera did a documentary about us it was a documentary done by a filmmaker by the name of Meda Wrightsaw it was on Al Jazeera and we got so much hate from everybody racist people who were just like oh you you're monkeys you're this you're the other you know if we see you we're gonna get you you know um you know bmp whatever you know then we had hate from a lot of people who are rooted in islam isis is watching you you know all of these various different things and then just the general public well why does islam need to be in everything why do you need to why are you trying to convert everyone to islam so it's so much hate oh, wow. that and so I think my parents are aware of some of the things that I'm facing and the challenges. What does it mean to be a woman who is, I wouldn't call myself outspoken, but I think it's important to have a voice and to tell stories. What does it mean to be that when actually the different parts of society that you belong to, that could be potentially difficult in those spaces? No? Yeah. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. That sounds so full on. And you know, it's it's funny looking back at it at the time because we've got death threats, we've got rape threats, we've got, you know, people threatened to do all sorts of things, you know. And every time I just a report on is the same sort of thing, but I'm able to step back from it now and just I'm more aware of who I am and I'm more less like I don't need it's nice to have communities but I'm not looking for communities to hold me and support me I found a way to hold and support myself or friendships to hold and support me you know 
Yeah, I'm really glad you have. I mean, I, I have friends who are Black and Muslim, and I've had these conversations with them about how other Black people have told them they're not really Black because they're Muslim. And then Muslim people have said, you're not really Muslim because you're Black. And it's like, actually, mm. I'm both of these things. How can Absolutely. one cancel out the other? And, Absolutely. and it being really mind boggling. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, even I've, there's been times where I've walked into mosques and people are like, oh, Jamaican people pray upstairs. I am Jamaican, but there's no way that you know that I'm Jamaican. So really you're using Jamaican as a synonym for black, basically. Yeah. So it's like the segregation between black or but like just this idea that you don't know as much about Islam because you are black, you know, mm. or neglecting the, you know, traditions, deep traditions you know, in Africa, in West Africa, in East Africa, in all over Africa, the fact that like, you know, Islam, the first place it was allowed to flourish was actually in East Africa, you know? So there's this really rich tradition, but it's just neglected, you know? Yeah. So that's a shame. And there's, you know, there's a lot of Muslims that are black, just like there are a lot of Jewish people who are black and they're just kind of erased. The existence is erased because we look at groups in these like monocultures that don't exist. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to move on to talking about something that you had right at the end of that piece about relationship with your body, which mm. I just think is, a, it was just a really beautiful exploration. Mm. I've been definitely doing a lot of thinking about my relationship with my body, about how I see my body, how the world sees my body, how I'm experienced as a human being and by how other people see me, you know? And we're all complicated human beings. We're all human beings with, you know, so many different identities layered into one. And I think maybe some of the, my biggest identities are visible. So being black is a visible identity, which in the society seems to be opposed to what a lot of people think or people have a lot of thoughts about it, right? Um, my Islam and also my womanhood but what does that mean and also I'm a woman of size and I'm starting to realize and I'm starting to say this because it's important to say that like we are experienced differently by what our body looks like and size is definitely one of those experiences yeah as a young child people just saw me as aggressive because I was a bigger child right or because I was a child of size and so I've had quite unhealthy relationship with my body when I guess so many people within the world see these different um, parts of my body or these different parts of my identity as something that is opposite to what it should be or is not the norm how do I experience that what does that mean what does being a black Muslim woman walking down the street maybe doing sports or a black Muslim woman who has blue eyeliner or dresses in particular way what does that mean and so I've just think a lot particularly lately about how sometimes I love my body somehow sometimes I hate my body how I've treated my body despite the fact that my body has carried me through all of this you know and just trying to find new words and new ways to talk about my body to think about my body so this is a conversation that is ongoing and I think it will be a big part of my work moving forward you know even right. just something really controversial I would like to say facial hair Women <laughs> have facial hair you know but even just this is like 
how has that made me feel throughout my life and actually these things are normal and when we're speaking in English speaking in this language which actually is quite violent to yeah. to our bodies in terms of what a woman's supposed to be what you know black people in terms of Islam we use these violent words to describe ourselves so yeah that's what I've been thinking about it's really interesting it's like such a rich thing to delve into isn't it um mm. There's a book I've been reading called uh, Your Body is Not an Apology. Have you heard about it? Oh, no, I haven't, but I'm definitely going to check it out. <laughs> so she's called Sonia Renee Taylor. Awesome, she's awesome. A, she's a poet as well. I think she was speaking to the way that other people, some of her friends were speaking about their body and it just came out of her. Your body is not an apology. Don't apologise for your body. You don't need to make it anything other than what it is. And it's kind of about this this idea of radical self-love and radical self-acceptance. And it's really uplifting. <laughs> she tells lots of stories about interactions with friends. And then it's like an exploration of what that means and actually how it's not an easy thing, but it's a daily practice. And it's actually, if you can reach that place with your body, these battles won't happen so often or won't affect us so much. It's interesting that you say battle. Because I was thinking for a lot of women, particularly women from migrant backgrounds, you know, I don't even like these terms. These terms that were given, I don't even like these yeah, terms. But you know, a lot of women of colour, black women, brown women, whatever terminology we choose to use, you know, global majority women. Oh, <laughs> I know. know, it's horrible. Yeah, it's like our bodies are literally a site of a battleground. Mm. battle between societies even when people are trying to you know tell us that women you are great this that, and the other like for example in a lot of a lot of afrocentric movements it's like oh you're a queen you're this i was like well first of all what if i'm not a queen what if i my family are from a whole other peasants does that make me any less of a woman or people say oh you know oftentimes when people talk about nationhood they talk about in terms of women and then all of a sudden you become this strong unbreakable banner of a country right you are literally a country and normally when people talk about nationhood it's kind of in lines with like invasion kind of in lines with like you know defending it and so you become the symbol of something that you cannot take on as a woman you know and it's just it's a lot so I like not that I like but I do really relate to the whole idea of our, our bodies for some people it's just a site of battle and we are yeah. having to battle against that too yeah totally and it's a political site as well where lots of decisions about who we are and how people interact with our bodies are made yep 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 definitely well Manira thank you so much it's been so great having you and mm -hmm. I really look forward to reading your work and seeing the play when it comes out Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you to Miri Takea, Manira Pilgrim, and thanks to you for listening. That was the final podcast in our series of six podcasts, and we've really enjoyed it. And thank goodness I don't have to tell you who's on next week. That is not as easy as it seems. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback. We are all over social media, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, and our email is kyotobristol at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Thanks again. Bye.